Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Georgia at number one, Missouri at number nine, and the biggest games on the menu this Saturday. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kid folks? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we got to talk about Oregon State versus Washington, Georgia versus Tennessee, and get built up for the game to come between Ohio State and Michigan. But first, let us talk about the recently revealed college football playoff rankings, and we got movement at the top for the first time this season by the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. They have chosen to flop Ohio State, who did nothing wrong, to two, and Georgia, who beat the brakes off of Ole Miss, to one, and they still don't have any respect whatsoever for Washington. But let's stick with this Georgia number one bit for just a second and say, okay, I understand. For the last couple of weeks, it feels like the Georgia football team that we've come to expect for an entire year has finally decided to show up. Now, after beating Florida without Brock Bowers and what was an impressive win, and then beating Missouri without Brock Bowers, and yet another impressive win. They have now beaten Ole Miss with Brock Bowers and yet another impressive win. We're talking about 26-27 straight for the Georgia Bulldogs. Carson Beck, a quarterback, feels like he's growing into the kind of dude that could absolutely lead that team to an SEC championship game. And oh, by the way, that game is set between Alabama representing the West and Georgia representing the East. Now, Brock Bowers didn't do a whole lot against Ole Miss, but you're missing the point if that is your argument. Him being on the field gives you an advantage because now you have to take into account 1-9. And wherever 1-9 is on a football field, you feel like you got to have a dude there. That is also attention that you can't give to a run game. That is great with Kendall Milton and Dejan Edwards in the backfield. And then you got Ladd McConkey out there absolutely making plays for Carson Beck and that Georgia defense coordinated by Glenn Schumann on the sideline with Bill Muschamp has been outstanding all year. But I don't think that Ohio State deserved this. Based on the committee's own criteria, they did nothing wrong. They are 10-0, and and they have beaten everybody on their schedule. And it feels like because Michigan beat Penn State the way that they did, that Penn State is no longer looked at as one of the better teams in college football. And Missouri somehow got a bounce from beating the Tennessee team that had already lost to Florida, among others, including Alabama, right? And Florida, we all know, ain't no good. So it feels like 
Georgia is benefiting quite a bit from whoever Missouri beats as well. And Ohio State is not benefiting from, well, Penn State losing to Michigan. As if Penn State has done anything else wrong. Now, outside of that, we can make an argument about one versus two, and I could really get into the weeds on it. But in November, it's really difficult to take this committee seriously, except to say they are laying the groundwork for some scenarios that we're going to get into, especially with this Missouri ranking as we get there. But I want to also point out Michigan at three, fine. If that's what you want, that's just fine by me. They're in the top four. They're undefeated. And Ohio State, Michigan is just over uh, under two weeks away. And we're going to get the winner of that probably gets in the playoff. And I see a scenario for which, once again, the loser of that game could get into the college football playoff. And then at five and six, we got the two best Pac-12 teams in the country. One of those teams is Washington. One of those teams has beaten a ranked Oregon, who many people believe is the best one-loss team in the sport, and Washington gave them that loss. They also beat a ranked Utah. They beat a USC with a Heisman Trophy winner. And oh, yeah, Arizona, who's ranked now, we didn't know that they were good when Washington beat them, but they got on that, that on the resume, too, along with a Heisman finalist and Michael Penix Jr., a running back in Dylan Johnson, who's all of a sudden had three 100-yard rushing games after never rushing for more than 100 yards in a game in his four-year career. They have an outstanding wide receiver in Rome Odunze, and that defense is playing Ben, but don't break football. It's fine. I think Washington beats and breaks off Florida State, right? And I'm basing it out on what Florida State has done, not necessarily what Washington has done. Peak game here. It's not just that Washington has been able to beat these better teams. It's that Florida State has struggled against teams that we don't think are any good. Miami is not any good. Miami trotted out the backup quarterback in Emory Williams against them on the road at Doak Campbell and had a 13-13 game late into the second half. If that dude doesn't go out with an injury, maybe he leads them past a Florida State team that can only win that game 27 to 20. I think Florida State is getting the Clemson bounce here, but they ain't deserve the Clemson bounce here. Clemson has won two national championships. Just because you're going to win the ACC title does not mean you deserve a spot in the college football playoff. And that seems like the kind of math that the committee is using to put Florida State in that four spot instead of Washington in that four spot. Now, Florida State's got to win out. Problem with this is I don't trust the schedule the rest of the way, and they're likely going to play a Louisville or a North Carolina. There's some scenarios for North Carolina to still get there in an ACC title game, but I don't think the ACC champ deserves a spot in the college football playoff, and I think that I would be just fine with them being controversial and actually ranking Florida State at six. I wouldn't do that myself because I respect winning, but I could understand it based on what Florida State has done here in the last few weeks and really all season long. Their best win is still an LSU team that – lost to Ole Miss, and then lost to Bama, okay? They might have the best player in the country in Jaden Daniels, but that wasn't enough, right? Jordan Travis is, for me, not necessarily a Heisman Trophy quarterback, but I could see finalists, and Keon Coleman's a dude, but I want this team to be dominant, and they haven't been, which is what Michigan has been. And Ohio State, against most other teams, has been. We all know that Georgia's still Georgia. So I think Washington, Oregon's got to figure itself out. Both of those teams got really tough games ahead on the schedule including perhaps a rematch of what was a fantastic game in Seattle for the Pac-12 championship. But I, I have faith that the top six are going to figure this out. But the four, five, six teams behind them is where it's really starting to get interesting. And we'll talk about this a little bit later as we go into the show, but they all got a road. I mean, I think the only team here that does not have a road inside the top 10 to the college football playoff is Missouri. And that's because Missouri's two losses are to 
SEC foes, right? We're talking about Missouri uh, losing to LSU, and we're talking about Missouri losing to Georgia. Basically, Missouri playing Georgia close is the reason why you rank Missouri as number nine in the country ahead of a number 10 Louisville who's only got the one loss. I tend to agree with you that I think Missouri passes the eye test in a way that, say, Louisville doesn't. But Louisville's got a really great win against Notre Dame, and they got a really bad loss against Pittsburgh. But what they are doing deserves the nine spot instead of the 10 spot. I think they're a long shot to make the playoff, even with an ACC title. But putting Missouri in the spot ahead of them just tells us what you think about the SEC and what you think about the ACC. So why the hell do you have Florida State at four if you're going to move Georgia to one and Missouri to nine? It just feels contradictory here, and I don't like it especially as we're getting into rivalry games that are absolutely going to matter. While this slate is not great, next couple of weeks of games are going to be outstanding. A little bit further in there, we talk about Texas, Alabama. I mean, that's basically, hey, Texas beat Alabama straight up. Rare opportunity where we get to see that one-on-one head-to-head. And it feels like whoever wins that respective conference championship, if they do, Texas or Alabama, is getting into the college football playoff. Alabama is able to stop a Georgia. It's really difficult to keep them out. Texas runs the rest of the way with Quinn Ewers healthy, wins a Big 12 title. Georgia wins a big, or excuse me, an SEC title. You can see Texas getting into this thing for the first time in their school history. And then I, I think that sneakily back here, man, we're looking at an Oregon State team that could end up in the Pac-12 championship. I'm not, I'm fine with Penn State at 11 and Ole Miss at 13, Oklahoma at 14. I really don't have a problem until we get to number 20 in North Carolina because, frankly, North Carolina, well, I'll take that at number 18, Tennessee. I think we're just raising up two teams here that don't need to be raised up here. And I think North Carolina is in a spot that should be reserved for James Madison. If James Madison gets their waiver to play in a bowl game, I don't see how you could put UNC into this top 25 with the losses that they have to Georgia Tech and Virginia. We're talking about a North Carolina team had had beaten Campbell. All right. Like, I'm not really into this idea of just passing out numbers to anybody that's got a power five team with two losses or fewer. It's not in my DNA, and I don't want it to be a part of the sports DNA, especially when we have undefeated teams like James Madison out there. And even far be it for me to cape for Liberty, but they're also undefeated, and they're going to play for a conference championship against New Mexico State. And yet and still, they've done more to deserve a ranking in this top 25 than North Carolina or even Tennessee have until this point. All right, let's get off of that and get into some of this weekend's games as we also talk about some scenarios that Well, these games provide us as we get ready for what is going to be a tasty postseason and a tasty conference championship week. And I'm already salivating at the notion. Let's start with the big noon game, the big game of the week for me. Number three, Michigan at Maryland. That is noon Eastern on Big Fox. Gus and Joel on the call. Michigan is favored by 19 and a half, and they damn well should be. They are 11 and 0, or looking to go 11 and 0 for the first time. In back-to-back years since 1901 and 1902. That's 121 years that they've been doing this. And regardless of what happens, they're going to play Ohio State, and the winner of that game is going to get into the conference championship as a representative for the Big Ten East. But last week, we got to see once again what this Michigan team is made of and what they are about. Now, put aside that all of their wounds are self-inflicted. How they have chosen to respond to those has been really fascinating and, quite frankly, entertaining to watch i got i got jim harbaugh out here quoting yellowstone about catching a cold 
I think we should all be on the lookout for when that man starts to call it full metal jacket and a few good men. Then we might want to think, hey, pump the brakes just a little bit there, Jimmy Harbaugh, just a little bit. But right now, his whole team is eating this up. They love that man. You had Sharon Moore cussing, not once, but twice on broadcast television because he was so emotional with getting that win against Penn State on the road to more or less tell everybody, no, this is who Michigan is and this is what we represent. And they've been representing like this for the past three years, if we're being quite frank about it, 35 and three over that span. Michigan has also been more dominant than both Georgia and Ohio State. Check this out. They have beaten teams by an average of 31 and a half points per game, right? Last week's game was about the closest that they played all year. Georgia, on the other hand, has beaten teams by 25 a game and Ohio State by 23.4 a game. Georgia and Ohio State actually have more in common with each other than they do with Michigan, who's just been a cut above the teams that they've been playing. It goes even deeper on that. On paper, this team that we're watching in 2023 that might end up playing six games half the season without their head coach on the sideline is already better than the 1997 national title team in some very important categories. Scoring, scoring defense, and points allowed per game being uh, well, I guess scoring defense now that I think about it. 39, uh, excuse me, 39 points per game is what they're averaging this year to 28.1 in 97, giving up 8.4 a game in 97, seven and a half a game this year. The last one possession game that Michigan played was in the Fiesta Bowl against Texas Christian. And the last time that they had a regular season home loss was October 30th, 2021 against Michigan State. You'll remember that Michigan State made a New Year's Six Bowl and won 11 games. And they haven't lost to an unranked opponent since November 28th, 2020, which also really, for me, is quite the turnaround. Because in that year, we're talking about not only Michigan going two and four and dodging Ohio State, not playing the game for the first time in I can't remember how long. But we're talking about Jim Harbaugh on his way out, perhaps going to the NFL. We're talking about him perhaps losing more coordinators and losing the faith of the go blue faithful. We're also talking about Ward Manuel drafting up a contract that's got performance uh, points that he has to meet in order to gain his entire contract that has since come and gone. And now they are going to the mat, going to court, quite literally try to keep that man on the sideline. It just goes to show you what winning can do for you. Even if you're two and four and have a loss to an unranked Penn state in 2020, you could be sitting pretty looking to go 11-0 against a Maryland team that, frankly, has no shot on paper, right? Like, it's difficult to say that out loud, but hear me out here. Maryland is 0-33 against ranked opponents in the Big Ten. It goes deeper than that. Maryland has not beaten a top-10 opponent since 2007 against Boston College when they were members of the ACC. They're in year nine of being a Big Ten member, and they've never had a top 10 win against a Big Ten member. Needless to say, they're able to pull that off against Michigan this weekend. Not going to turn nothing down but this turtleneck, you know what I'm saying? I'm gonna, I'll tip the hat to Mike Loxley, but that's just what the Terrapins are up against going into this. And we have all given Michigan even more coal to shove into the furnace that is their locomotive with the sign-stealing scandal being what it is. I just want to recap the timeline here because we're not even a month into this thing and so much has happened. October 19th, the NCAA begins its investigation. October 20th, Connor Stallions, who's at the center of the investigation, was suspended by Michigan. November 2nd, 
Big Ten coaches pressed Big Ten commissioner Tony Petiti to do something about the sign stealing that was going on that was rampant at Michigan. Number, November 10th, we got the Big Ten suspending Jim Harbaugh in response to all of this for the remainder of the season, which is three games, Penn State, Maryland, and Ohio State. And then the same day, in truly Michigan men fashion, Michigan files a temporary restraining order attempting to block the Big Ten's suspension of Jim Harbaugh, who took to the days yesterday on Monday and told everybody, I won't be commenting on the suspension because there's a hearing on Friday. There quite literally is a hearing on Friday to find out whether or not Jim Harbaugh is going to be allowed on the sidelines for Maryland or Ohio State. And then November 11th, Michigan absolutely stops a mud hole in Penn State if you're watching the football game and you're not just looking at the scoreboard. And then November 17th, we're going to find out whether or not that dude gets to coach. But I really enjoy when players and coaches are all pulling in the same direction, even if it's the same direction that was self-inflicted by Michigan. So when you see a bunch of guys out there yelling bet or saying we'll go to the mat for Jim Harbaugh, I think you need to take that into account when we talk about that dude. I think we really need to account for everybody in the building loves him. Everybody in the building wants to fight for him. That's not an easy thing to do. It is not an easy thing for one man to rally everybody in the same direction and feel so much loyalty at a time when it might be difficult to be who he is. But this is also a guy that absolutely wears the Bo Beckler hat and thinks he's John Dutton in Ann Arbor. So if anybody could pull that off, it would be. Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. But once again, all they got to do is keep winning because I know they brought Ric Flair in there. And you'll know that I am prone to quote Ric Flair on this here show. And yes, to be the man, you got to beat the man, which is probably what you say to Ohio State, but that's also what you are saying to Georgia. So even if you're the number one team in the country to me, you got to show it once again against Maryland, once again against Ohio State, Probably against the Big Ten West champ that might be Iowa. And then finally, you ain't won a game in the college football playoff. So you still got some work to do. So carry this whole energy, all of it, through to January. And then we'll talk about what Michigan football is or isn't. Let's talk about a team that actually might end up playing Michigan in the college football playoff. Things go their way. That's number five, Washington. And they are traveling to a Corvallis this weekend to play number 11, Oregon State. Off the rip. I got to tell you, producer Tyler comes up with the rundown and we talk about it. We make sure we know what we know and how we want to do the show for that night and that day. But I had to ask him, yo, man, am I reading it correctly that Oregon State is a two and a half point favorite against the Huskies? Like, yeah, dog, I double checked it, too. That's what it's been like to play the Beavers basically since 2022, but especially in 2023. It's a good football team they got up there. Now, Washington, once again has to knock off yet another ranked opponent to be the number five team in the country. I, If you're a Husky fan, I feel for you because this is absolute disrespect by the college football playoff selection committee. You're playing a tough schedule that gets tougher each and every week from Oregon to SC to Utah to now Oregon State, and yet you can't get a number four ranking for your trouble. But you got an opportunity here. You keep running the table, you go undefeated, you're going to get that number four ranking. Washington can clinch a spot in the Pac-12 championship with a win in this game, but it's going to be tough. I mean, we're talking about an Oregon State team that handed Utah its first L of the season, 21-7, to in Corvallis. And I'm saying in Corvallis, and the reason I said at Corvallis to start this is because the Beavers are 5-0 and at home this year. It is a tough place to go in 
and get a W. And I'm really excited for the quarterback pairing once again in this one because, you know, Pac-12 having the year of the quarterback. Michael Penix Jr., probably going to be a Heisman finalist. He keeps doing what he's been doing, which is throwing for about 350 a game, right? And DJ Uwe Ungalale, who was a five-star recruit coming out, right? We thought he was going to be as good as Bryce Young. Wasn't as good as Bryce Young. Ends up transferring from Clemson to Oregon State. People thought Clemson would be fine. Turns out, no. DJ actually swayed the balance of power away from Clemson and to Oregon State because they are sitting pretty with an opportunity to get into the Pac-12 title game. And for you draft Knicks out there, DJ Uyunglele is going to be a darling at an NFL draft combine. If he vaults into the first round the way that Anthony Richardson did, know that I told you he would because he's got all the talent in the world. 95-mile-hour fastball. He can throw a football over the mountains. He's big. He's strong. He's fast. And they are unafraid to run him in the open field. And he's got a tailback that can absolutely carry the mail, all right? Damian Martinez went over 1,000 yards rushing last week. Damian Martinez might be the best tailback that Oregon State has produced since Jaquiz Rogers and has a chance to be the best ever Oregon State tailback that they've ever had, including Steven Jackson. He's that important to what they do, and he is that talented. You're going to have a whole lot of trouble trying to stop that dude if you are the Washington defense who, let's face it, ain't been great. Ain't been great. If I got a knock on Washington, it's that you remind me too much of Oklahoma in 2018-2019. You can score a bunch. You're also going to allow people to score a bunch. And a team like Oregon State will take advantage of that because they play outstanding defense and they play ball control offense to the point that Utah – I thought had an opportunity to go and get a win in Seattle, but couldn't quite do anything in the second half. But that's what Bryson Barnes, a quarterback. No disrespect to the pig farmer who beat up on the Heisman winner, but DJ Uyunglele is a different kind of cat. And if you allow him to go do what he can do, you're probably going to end up looking like Stanford look, like Cal look. Teams they put up 50 or more on. They scored 62 on Stanford last week. They are feeling themselves in Corvallis and quiet as it is kept. The Pac-2 now has control of the Pac-12 until such time as, you know, we're going to get an appeal. But we learned earlier this evening that the Pac-2 is now in control of the $400 million worth of assets that is the Pac-12, at least until the dissolution of the Pac-12. So I'm very excited to see what Oregon State does with this newfound power, with being very much OP in the Pac-12 right now. I'm also interested to see whether or not Roma Dunzi, Dylan Johnson can keep up with Michael Penix Jr., because I think those guys are having really great seasons. They'll be all Pac-12 members. But Romo Dunzi might be wide receiver two as far as All-Americans on the first team. He and Marvin Harrison Jr. has been that good. And Dylan Johnson is edging himself into the All-American conversation. Like, had to fill up my Football Writers Associ- uh, Amer- of America Association ballot, and I had a hard time trying to figure out whether or not I was going to put that dude in there because of what he has been for them, especially the last three weeks. I mean, you go for 256 against anybody. I'm going to give you a a salute. But to do it against the USC team in a game that meant the world to you and to them, that's no small thing, especially after having never rushed for more than 100 against anybody and then rushing for 100 against an Oregon team we all think is really good. So that's the biggest game going on on the West Coast, number five versus number 11. Let's get to one of the biggest games on the East Coast. That's Minnesota at Ohio State. Well, I guess that's the Midwest because Minnesota ain't on the East Coast. You get what I'm saying there? But Minnesota at number two, Ohio State. Ohio State is a 27 and a half point favorite. 
We do not expect the Gophers to present much of a challenge to Ohio State, but tell that to Rutgers, who went into halftime up 9-7. to seven. Now, that game was different, but it has a lot to do with the offense, and the offense has been the bugaboo for the Buckeyes all season long. This offense is not one that we've come to associate with Ryan Day and Ryan Day quarterbacks and what they're capable of doing. It's an offense that hasn't had Travion Henderson healthy the whole year and hasn't had Mayan Williams healthy the whole year, but they've gotten enough from the running back room with Chip Trainum and even Dallin Hayden there for a little bit. But the, the offense is Marvin Harrison Jr. Okay, if that dude is able to catch passes early and often, he opens up the rest of the field for those playmakers like Travion Henderson, who is a home run hitter, who's liable to go off at any moment. And really, He's been the unsung hero behind 1-8 when they have had these games that have been tight. He's been able to burst and make these outstanding plays that give him over 200 yards from scrimmage in a game where Marvin Harrison Jr. might go for 100, 168 yards receiving. But it's also Kyle McCord being able to look around and go like, okay, is 1-8 there? No, let me check to the run. And this offensive line is finally figuring it out as to who they are blocking and how they're supposed to block them. And can this offense get going is the question that I have for them heading into Minnesota. Because if you can get everybody firing all, on all cylinders and we get the odd 500-yard offensive performance from a Buckeye offense that is run by Ryan Day, I feel much better about their opportunity to go into Ann Arbor and get a win in the game because that's the season for them, right? It's use Minnesota to try to get Mecca Buka, Travion Henderson, Marvin Harrison Jr., Kate Stover, all those guys touches and feeling good about playing offensive football because this is the last opportunity you're going to have to play a team that frankly is not on the same planet as you in as far as talent. You ought to be able to handle them the way that Michigan was able to handle him. And that's the other reason you have to win this game going away. Because people are going to say, who are your common opponents? And they're going to look at Michigan and Minnesota. They're going to look at you and Minnesota. They're going to look at you at Pitt State. They're going to look at Michigan and Penn State. And on it goes. This is how you're going to be measured. So if you want that number one seed, if you're undefeated with a Big Ten championship game, this might be one for which we are all looking going, what did you do against a team that we don't think is that good? Now, on top of that, it's also the final game before the game that might come to define how we feel about Ryan Day going into 2024. I say we, how y'all feel about Ryan Day going into 2024, because I think Ryan Day is one hell of a football coach who's only lost six games. But every Buckeye fan I talked to says, what do you do against Michigan? Like, that's their only question. They don't care about not now nothing else. They care about beating Michigan. Hella high water. I'm not even sure that they could go seven and five with a win against Michigan. They still probably feel good about it. I'm not sure that th they want to feel that, but that's the vibe I get from them. So Ryan Day's already, if not begun coaching for Michigan, he will start coaching against Michigan right now, right? Because we're talking about a dude that was also really having some conversations with himself about how thinly he was spread going into November right now with play calling. And how much of his head was in the offense or in the defense and where he needed to be heading into what was the biggest game of the regular season. One of the reasons that Brian Hartline was elevated to that offensive coordinator position, one Kevin, uh, Kevin, Summer, Kevin Wilson went out to Tulsa, but also everybody wanted to see Brian Hartline in that position. We were talking about whether or not Hartline would be called in the place that has not come to pass. But I'll be curious to see how he manages Minnesota and how that helps him or doesn't help him going into Michigan, see who has to play calling privileges, see if he's going to experiment a little bit more with how they run their sideline going into that game. Certainly going to be a boon to them to know that, oh yeah, they ain't got that dude on the sideline stealing signals from us. Whether that's placebo effect or not, I'm excited for it because, well, 
that game is going to have so many far-reaching implications for the college football playoff. And I see a scenario for which both of those teams get in the playoff once again, being that we got four one-loss teams that could be one-loss champions and no one-loss champion in a Power Five has ever missed the college football playoff. So either we're going to see something we've never seen before or one of those teams is going to catch an L between now and the conference championship game being played, which leads me to big game in the Big 12. That is number seven, Texas at Iowa State. That's at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Big Fox. Texas is seven and a half point favorite going into Ames. But let me tell you something. You ain't want to go into Jack Trice. Nah, 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 no way. Don't nobody like going into Jack Trice to play them Cyclones because them dudes know what they are doing. They know who they are. And when November comes around, they can jump up and bite you. Ask Brock Purdy about missing out on that two-point conversion against Jalen Hurts in Oklahoma in November on the road, all right? They know who they are, and that's one of the things I love most about Matt Campbell. His football teams are going to be prepared to go in and fight. And once they figure out how they're going to fight, they go and execute. Against this Texas team, they got a shot because Texas still can't score in the red zone. No, I, explosive plays, great. Xavier Worthy's going to have them. So is uh, Adonai Mitchell. So is Jatavion Sanders. It's going to happen, but if you can't score inside 25 and tw into the 20, you're going to have a hard time against an Iowa State defense run by John Haycock that is going to sit back and let you try to throw on them. That's difficult to do. Baker Mayfield couldn't do that in 2017. It's the same offense or that, or excuse me, same defense that he was facing. But I'm also curious to see what are they going to do at tailback if they're Texas? Now, I think Texas fans will tell you that C.J. Baxter started out as RB1 this season. But with the loss of Jonathan Brooks to an ACL injury for the rest of the year, you're losing 1,100 yards on the ground and 10 TDs. And the guy that took the job from C.J. Baxter for good reason. Now, C.J. is still capable of absolutely tearing people up in, in the second level, if he can get to the second level. But I'm going to be curious because I've said going into the season, it felt like the deepest running back room in the country with not just Jonathan Brooks and C.J. Baxter, but Keelan Robinson and Jaden Blue, we can keep going down the line here, but they're going to need help. And Quinn Ewers, the guy that we thought was going to be a Heisman candidate, has not looked much like a Heisman candidate. Now, I know he went out with a shoulder injury, but you get my point here. We're not talking about Quinn Ewers in the same breath that we're talking about Michael Penix Jr. or Bo Nix or even Kyle McCord at this point, right? Which is the guy that I would compare him to because they were at one point on campus together. And one of those dudes decided he didn't want to compete for the job at Ohio State and took his behind back to Austin, Texas, all right? That's where we're at with Texas. Now, Texas has been outstanding defensively. That's the edge I think they have that we don't give them enough credit for. They fly around. They make tackles. They got a great linebacker in Jalen Ford leading the charge over there, and they can absolutely stop the run. So if you're going to force Iowa State to throw the football down the field, you got a shot to go and take this from them in a really challenging road environment. But this is also huge for Iowa State because while Texas is trying to cruise into a Big 12 championship, Iowa State has a road to the Big 12 championship themselves. Check this out. If Iowa State wins out, they're probably going to get into the Big 12 championship because they had the tiebreaker against Oklahoma State, which didn't seem like a big deal September 30th, but it does now. Remaining games, though, are against Texas and at Kansas State. Those are not easy wins, so they'll absolutely have to go and get that. But if you are a fan of Oklahoma, or Oklahoma State, or even Kansas, or Kansas State, you need to pull for Iowa State to go do this because Oklahoma is the only team with the tiebreaker win against Texas. But again, it could be carnage. Like I went through the tiebreaker rules once again, and there are all sorts of scenarios, but we're getting to the point where 
if some things go the way that I think they can go, we could have us a Friday Night Lights coin flip at an undisclosed truck stop location to decide who plays the Big 12 championship game. I would love that because I do this here show because I love shows where we get to talk about chaos and have content. But I just don't think that's going to occur. I, I think that one way or another, somebody's going to lose just the way that they should or win the way that they should in the Big 12 title is probably going to be between two teams that absolutely have shown they deserve to be there. That said, if Texas wins its conference championship and Alabama beats Georgia for its conference championship and Oregon beats Washington for its conference championship and Louisville beats Florida State for its conference championship, why do I think that we're going to end up with Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan in the college football playoff? Because that's probably what this committee is going to do. They've already demonstrated to you they love them some SEC. How 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 and why else would you rank Missouri with two losses at number nine? Okay? You're looking for a reason to put Alabama above Texas. Any reason at all. You just can't do it because the, the head-to-head in Tuscaloosa absolutely matters. And you we all know what you think about Georgia. Georgia doesn't lose to Tennessee this weekend. That's the thing. And that's where we need to go right now. Because... Number one, Georgia at number 18, Tennessee, probably goes about the way that many of us expected to go. Georgia stops a mud hole in Tennessee. However, the implications of a Tennessee win are far-reaching, okay? It's not that Georgia's going to somehow not be in the SEC title game because they are. It's that, oh, no, now we've got two one-loss teams playing for the SEC title. Now, for those of us that ain't SEC fans, that means cool. You may or may not get a team into the college football playoff because if you got one loss. Florida State's undefeated by your gorilla math. You're going to put Florida State in that spot. That, that's, that's what you're telling me. That's what's shown. Okay. You backed yourself in this corner. However, I don't think Tennessee's got it, got it in the man. I picked Tennessee to beat Florida and they made me look like a fool. Okay. They went down to the swamp and got stomped out. Then they go to Missouri and they get stomped out. Can't score more than seven points on Missouri. Now, I feel some kind of way about losing to Missouri because I'm an Oklahoma fan and I'm in Missouri, wasn't no good. Then they showed up to the SEC and decided that, oh, that one year we want to be good. But ever since then, they ain't been nobody. There's still more somebody than A&M, but that's who you keep in company with is A&M. You can't go up there and take no loss, Tennessee. Not after what you did last year. You're number one team in the country in November, college football playoffs, selection committee rankings. Now I got to look at Tennessee going, are y'all going to get beat by 40 against Georgia? Because that's the whole thing right now. I mean, Georgia's at Tennessee, so maybe we're looking at Tennessee-Bama, but this ain't Bama, not last year's Bama. This, this, this is Georgia's team is really good. And frankly, if Tennessee is able to get this win, doesn't that make Tennessee a better football team than Missouri? Doesn't that mean that Tennessee ends up in the top 10? And what does that do for Alabama, who beat Tennessee, right? Like, I— I don't know how this committee is going to make sense of its own rankings in these weeks to come if the results do not fall their way. However, Georgia could make them even more right because Georgia will play Bama for the SEC title game. That's a ranked opponent. Going into this game against Tennessee, Georgia has three ranked wins. Now, that is two more than Ohio State and three more than Michigan. So if you're talking about ranked opponents, but you're talking about Georgia having the edge. But if you're talking about college football playoffs, election committee's gorilla math, sure. I mean, they'll manipulate Missouri into number nine. So I, how do I take you seriously? What, what is your criteria here? You know what I'm saying? Like, Ohio State didn't do anything to deserve the number one spot when you gave it to them. 
They didn't do anything to deserve the number two spot since you gave it to them. So you got to tell me, why does your sliding scale continue to move? Why do you keep moving the goalpost on these football teams? I'll just give it back to Ryan Day, who had the great quote on his tele, uh, at his press conference where he said, we're going to have to be better than every other football team in the country these last couple of weeks. That's what's going to have to happen. I think that's true for everybody. I think if you can demonstrate that you are a better football team than everybody else in the country, you will have folks like me going, yeah, okay, that team needs to be in a college football playoff because, again, we're ranking them based on the four best teams, right? We want to use that best teams for which I can keep going on about how I do not believe that anybody in this sport other than me respects the scoreboard because we respect brands. We respect that Ohio State looks more talented, and they are, right, than most football teams. But at some point, wins and losses got to matter. And if you're going to tell me that you're going to put a 9-1 and Louisville at 10 and an 8-2 Missouri at 9, I got to go back to the kids and say, hey, dog, it doesn't matter if you win every football game. They're not going to respect you because that's exactly how James Madison feels. That's exactly how Liberty feels. And right now, if you're Ohio State, that's exactly how they feel too. We'll be back on Saturday night following Georgia, Tennessee, uh, ahead of Washington, Oregon State to recap the day's games and get you started for what will be the biggest game of the entire year, Ohio State, Michigan, the following Saturday. All right. Our number one college football show leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistants Kiara Santana and Kyla Morris put the special in our special team. Social producer Javion Duncan Make sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. John Marcus, fight on, John Marcus, is sending in the signal. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees the entire field from the booth. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls the plays from the sideline, and the play snaps on my clap. We'll see y'all live Saturday evening. Until then, stay low, keep those feet driving. Doses. <laughs>